This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey, guys. Just want to let you know this is a clip from my YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash crimson 60620 check it out if you want to see some of my other videos if you want to see some of my art as i'm doing it or if you want to actually just get more of me thank you it's another segment so cheers um so um just going back to when you see people that complain about um different things you know what's really fucking bothersome is they never acknowledge what has actually been happening with different communities. Now, this is sort of an old video. Um, I actually saw it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually saw it, and um, this is one of those things where it's just like, oh, shit. And this is from the evil, evil uh, organization a Al Jazeera oh wow Al Jazeera plus so let's 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 hear some of this shit take a look at New York City here black people are being arrested and stopped at almost twice the rate as the average New Yorker now if you went over to Tulsa Oklahoma being black means you are 2.7 times more likely to be subjected to physical force by police officers than white people now zoom out and the story nationally doesn't change for example, data shows that across the U.S., police officers stop black drivers at higher rates than white drivers. This is often called over-policing. It happens when... So, let's just look at that fucking data point while we're at it. It's not just New York City because crime bad that you actually see these people that literally um, would make excuses for, well, of course black people get stopped in New York City more because, you know, hey, hey, because crime. What, Tulsa, Oklahoma? Really? And it's across the country? Why? Because because reasons? No. Minority neighborhoods are over fucking police. It is a fucking thing. We saw it across the country. Even like Ferguson. They actually had a study that the city makes up uh, at, at the time of uh, Michael Brown that the city made up most of his budget by over policing black neighborhoods. But there's no problem, right? But let's continue. When communities either face a large police presence in their daily lives or face aggressive policing for minor offenses and sometimes for nothing at all. It's this broader sort of narrative of who belongs and who doesn't, which allows certain groups to tap in the police department, to use the police department, or to weaponize the police department in ways that are conducive to violence against black people. And over-policing can have deadly results. In 2016, Philando Castile was fatally shot during a traffic stop. An NPR investigation found he had been stopped at least 46 times in 14 years. In fact, according to a research paper, one in every 1,000 black men and boys can expect to be killed by police. Can a so, let's just look at that shit. Let's just fucking look at that shit. It, 
We have numbers. And what does a right wing say? Facts don't care about your feelings? What the fuck, man? What the fuck? We literally have numbers for this shit. But, you know, let, let's, let's hear some shit out. Oh, God. Oh, God. Let's have some fun. Biden administration even do anything to help fix this problem? To understand how we got to this place today where black communities are... And no, 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 no. I, I don't think that the Biden administration with Biden's record of, you know, helping pass the crime bill, which I would give him more, more of a forgiveness if he actually thought that he made a fuck it like well yeah it was fucked up at that particular point but no this motherfucker is standing by well that's what they asked for at the time no no motherfucker oh god what even though it led to some of the worst laws to affect communities of a different color like say like if you black and you had rock cocaine, you were in jail for twice as long as somebody who had powder cocaine or somebody whose father was a powerful senator and got caught with powder cocaine and still ended up being, you know, free to roam it. Fuck. Like, out, out of everything, out of everything, if you want to uh, tackle Hunter Biden for some shit that he actually did, Yes, uh, being on the board of um, uh, 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 of a foreign company when you don't have any experience is actually bad optics. There's nothing illegal about it. But when you literally have your father bail you out for cocaine possession, why don't these motherfuckers actually talk about that shit? But, you know, you know, that's, you know, because cocaine is a hell of a drug. Anyway, let's go aggressively policed, we need to take a closer look at some of the historical reasons and systemic conditions that made it all possible. Not only is the gentrification taking place whereby new wealthier predominantly white residents are moving in, we also have to think about where black residents are moving to and how policing sort of has an impact on that entire process. In order to understand why black communities are policed the way they are, we have to talk about housing discrimination. So right around the 1900s is when our urbanization really started to take root. And so what did we need to have in place to make it just grow across the whole country? And that is a massive system of infrastructure. During World War I, urbanization brought the promise of booming socioeconomic growth. It's also one of the many reasons why millions of Black people relocated from the Jim Crow South to the North, West, and Midwestern regions of the United States. But just as countless Blacks moved, policies were being rolled out to keep neighborhoods white. And the crazy part about it was, just like segregation in the South, all of this was very much legal. To understand to how... So, I live in Chicago. Chicago is a heavenly, heavily segregated, segregated city. Excuse me. And it the there are t places where it was... If you don't know what a sundown town is, it's where certain people can't be in an area after sundown. There are literally neighborhoods like that in Chicago where literally you would actually have you couldn't go past um, where Old Comiskey Park. You couldn't go past that part of the neighborhood. Um, you had to stay. Uh, you had to stay east uh, of Comiskey Park in certain parts of towns. We literally have had mayors whose children 
were accused of pulling racist shit. And we're not talking about 50 years ago. We're not talking about 60 years ago. We're talking about 20, 25 years ago. But yeah, there's no problem with race in, you know, the US. How this market was structured, you have to understand the mechanisms that allowed it to happen. And things like race covenants and redlining, which work together to limit who can own and who can buy and who can get credit. And so now you're isolating people, you're telling them you have to live here. So what are these mechanisms and how do they work in the real world? Redlining is basically a framework to determine how desirable a neighborhood is based on race. This is how it went. When we're assessing these neighborhoods, there's basically four rankings. The green, that was the, the highest ranking. It was like, you know, vibrant homes, people are working, rents are high, no subversive racial elements. It was not integrated. And then he had a blue rank that was like, yes, really strong neighborhood, but a little closer to places that are racially integrated. Then you have the yellow that was next to a red line space. And so it was in danger. You didn't know which way it was going to go, but it was next to the red line space. And then you would have the red line places where they would say, look at the detrimental influences of the neighborhood. And one of those was the lack of race covenants. And what were race covenants? Well, those were deeds that told people they could only sell property to whites. Banks also ruled out making loans and mortgages in certain neighborhoods, regardless of the applicant's finances. So it wasn't really any formal mortgage industry. So you saw that the ability to control uh, housing markets through race was very easy then. So by designing the marketplace around rules that revolve around color, we should not be surprised that we see this racial spatial wealth gap today. Because so with this is leading up to, and this is why I let it play for so long. Literally, this is one of the main contributive factors to generational wealth is home ownership. Until we get our glorious communist revolution where home, where home ownership doesn't dictate the opportunities that you have in life, it is literally home ownership. Home ownership, excuse me. And what you see with this shit, what you literally see with this shit is a way of keeping certain minority groups. Because remember, what was just mentioned in that part was not that it was just for blacks. It was no non-whites. And the fact is, this is what kind of kills me about these people that, well, black people need to be a little bit more respectable. Black people need to like, we have no fucking co community, no motherfucking, you know, cultural wealth, not saying that we can't get it, but until we break up a fucking system that actually, because the effects of red lines still are, redlining is still here today. Until we break up this motherfucking system, will we say, fuck this, let's stop having banks control it or control how people get homes. Let's make home ownership affordable or let's decommodify it altogether. We're still going to be stuck with this bullshit. <sighs> but let's continue. That's how it started. This wouldn't end until 1968, when the NAACP got Congress to pass the Fair Housing Act. The act banned discrimination regarding the sale, rental, and financing of housing based on race, religion, national origin, and sex. So how? So let's let's do this. I, I'm sorry. Let's um, cause I, I actually I want to thank Cat for giving this, and we're gonna actually look at this.
Now, Kat, is this is this current? Please don't tell me this shit is current. Wow. I know this is like, cause I've seen recent news articles about like even people moving into a certain area and yeah, but let's, let's, I'm in Illinois. So let's Addison. Um, okay. So here's a list of work in progress. So you can assess the information provided to inform your own determination as where the town is confirmed sundown. If you have additional information pro or con, Please email it to um, Stephen Barley. Uh, barely. Also note that some towns are D and not specific sundown towns, but are listed for other reasons. If you, if your research, uh, if your research or ours convince you that the town may be a sundown town, considered helping it by transcending it. It's white supremacist past Goshen, Indiana. And Lacrosse, Wisconsin, discussed on this website, provide examples of places that have done so. Also, make sure that descriptions of the town states, towns in state encyclopedias, Wikipedias. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Now, Addison, I wouldn't say that's a sundown town. Um, I know that's become more integrated. Arlington Heights. Yeah, even though that's around Chicago, uh, yeah. Um, Barrington, kind of, yeah. Bartlett, yeah. These are heavily segregated segregated towns. Vincentville, which is right uh, right around Addison, uh, but they're being more integrated. Bellwood again is being more integrated. Um, Bolingbrook, not so much. It's a lot of black people in Bolingbrook. Um, what's another one? Um, or maybe they're just okay, okay, okay. Okay, so it's just actually showing. Um, it, okay, it's giving it's giving just a list of the towns. Wow. Okay. Brookfield, not necessarily there are parts of Brookfield that's integrated. Um, I used to live around Bowling Brook, so that's the reason why I know. Um, Bentonville, not really. Again, like a lot of these places have become mixed over the last few years. So, um, yeah. So yeah, a lot of economic, especially Addison, Bentonville. Um, I know that they're a little bit more mixed because um, the O'Hare expansion, um, but they're, fuck. All right, let's get back to the video. I'm sorry. We got sidetracked there for people. How did race covenants and other housing ordinances impact black Americans today? To start with, it stalled the socioeconomic growth of an entire generation, which furthered inequity between black and white Americans. Persistent residential segregation since then has led to the hyper-surveillance of black communities by police. And, and see, that's exactly what we were talking about. Hold on. Oh, God, no. Commercial. Um, I'm sorry, guys, if this actually continues happening because 
um, what happened is my YouTube premium ran out and um, it has been, um, it's been um, difficult um, for the last couple of days. Um, may, I may actually get it when I next get paid, but uh, my YouTube premium has ran out. So let's let's go. Today, the language of so-called law and order is often based in the same racist fear-mongering that redlining and race covenants were based on, stoking white fear of black people. And so you create these fears because you have to enforce. And this becomes the implicit bias. And this is what we use in how we distribute public finance dollars, infrastructure dollars, who gets the roads, who gets the light rails, who gets the schools, who gets the STEM programs, who gets healthcare, who gets tested for COVID. And you see how this all happens all the way up to today. But it's not just exclusion by design that has led to the overpolicing of black communities. At least two sitting U.S. presidents would further this divide by also declaring war against black Americans. For much of the 1960s, U.S. cities were shaken by a series of protests and rebellions against racism and racist policing. A new wave of anti-racist activism was born, from civil rights movement protests to more militant challenges to the racist power structure from the likes of Malcolm X and the Black Panther Party. A policeman in a black community is a licensed killer. He's a licensed killer. A black man attacking a policeman is a rioter. Yeah. <laughs> and this is like a total contra... Like, this is a total... Like, what the fuck is that word? Uh, what Contradiction is the wrong word. Um, fuck. Fuck, I'm missing a word. This is a total... Uh, just example of what goes on. We literally had BLM protests in hundreds of cities across the country. Millions of people protest. And what they stand for is, hey, let's not let the cops, because contrary to popular belief, let's not have the cops actually just going and killing anybody, black, white, or otherwise. And people, were, they were seen as domestic terrorists. But motherfuckers stormed the Capitol. And some people want to call them patriots. They want to call themselves patriots. When they bring in a fucking rebel, a rebellious flag. Well, they actively hate our democracy. But let's continue. That's because the black man don't have the license to kill. Then President Lyndon B. Johnson likened the uprisings to, get this, a war which in turn likened black American citizens to a hostile population under occupation. That helped further solidify the justification for black communities to be policed in America. LBJ did this by getting the Law Enforcement Assistance Act passed by Congress. This led to today's equivalent of $223 million being funneled to the Department of Justice. The money outfitted the police forces like soldiers the U.S. government sent to Vietnam and Latin America. These policies would make it easier for presidents like Nixon, Reagan, and Clinton to normalize the hyper-surveillance and over-policing of black neighborhoods. Nixon and Reagan would do this through their war on drugs campaigns. This would disproportionately lead to the and the war on drugs that was that pushed Reagan to the right from Joe Robinette Biden. I, I'm just we're not gonna let this shit go. Like Sid, he's had he had a day. Now we gonna push this shit. Now, fuck that. I am happy that fucking Trump is out of the White House. Please don't get me wrong. But we about to push that motherfucking Joseph Robinette Biden to the motherfucking left. Ooh, it's going to be delicious. And by the way, this is something that I want to actually call back to. 
if you've actually watched my channel, um, watch this video. Mass incarceration I, of black Americans. Oh, sorry. Under sorry. Clinton, it would turn into. If you actually watched this video that I did, um, actually it's been about a couple weeks. This shit isn't new to you. This shit isn't new to what we've actually seen. And, um, this is when I went back and actually watched the video from about 50 fucking years ago. Um, uploads, where is it? Not there. Um, doo -doo -doo -doo. let's go to videos. God damn it. This video right here, same things after same thing after 50 years. If you go back and watch that video and uh, the commentary that I have, yes, I have commentary in it, but you actually see like some of the same shit that people were talking about fucking 50 years ago in 19 fucking 72 or 71 are some of the same shit that's happening now. The military, the militarization of police the unaccountability for it it's fucking insane but let's continue into the national defense authorization act of 97 which gifted surplus military equipment to law enforcement agencies across the country this has led to a pattern of racial inequity and injustice across policing and the criminal justice system today between 2001 and 2010 Black Americans were four times more likely to be arrested for marijuana charges compared to white Americans. And despite being just 5% of all substance users, Black Americans made up almost 30% of all drug-related arrests. And also, I don't know if they're going to bring this point in, but Black people and white people use marijuana at roughly the same rate. But four times as likely to get arrested. Now, of course, that's changing with the legalization movements across the country, even in places such as Mississippi, but still, this is shit is stupid. But let, let's go. Not only does inequality increase one's likelihood of having criminal justice contact, but we know that the criminal justice system also increases levels of inequality. So basically, housing discrimination laws, the withdrawal of resources, the war on crime, the war on drugs are all connected to why black neighborhoods are overpoliced today. But there's one more thing we have to address when we talk about policing of black neighborhoods, gentrification. In New York, that's resulted in higher law enforcement presence by the NYPD. And the new residents, who are often white, are partly to blame for this. The broader sort of issue that I think we need to keep in mind when we think about this relationship between gentrification and policing is that we need to be concerned about the extent to which gentrification in some way is conducive to fueling greater levels of anti-blackness, right? What we're really talking about here is the extent to which black people are now perceived to belong in these spaces. And that's what often happens when neighborhoods gentrify. A large influx of white residents turns into an increase of quality of life complaints. That's complaints against things like noise and loitering. And those complaints often lead to arrests in lower income communities of color. So now you see how they all work together. Now you have this displacement and people move because of this displacement. And now you have new places that are devalued and new places get gentrified and it's cyclical. And it's like in 20 year cycles and you can see this stuff and it just keeps happening in waves. In 2020, defund the police became a rallying cry of nationwide protests. So one of the things that people often forget about that what happened with Breonna Taylor, their neighborhood was in a process of gentrification. That is what was happening in their neighborhood where literally they were, it, it, and it was complaints about it. There were complaints about, because uh, that's why the neighbor 
whose wall was shot. Actually, that's why one of the charges was because, oh my God, this is happening in our in our neighborhood, and that's why it was an increase in fucking like pest complaints, like you know tickets or 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 it's like it was things that would fuck up with your quality of life to get you to move out the neighborhood but let's continue grassroots organizations and activists called for divesting funds from police forces and reallocating them to things like housing and social services but president-elect biden doesn't support any move to defund police departments what i support is the police having the opportunity to deal with the problems they face and I'm, not, I'm totally opposed to defunding the police officers. And instead, backs efforts to reform them. But even that has opposition. But over-policing doesn't happen in a vacuum. Over-policing is connected to an ingrained racist system that prioritizes the needs of white Americans over the safety of black Americans. And that, ultimately, translates to the policing carried out in neighborhoods across the United States. So there are many different ways by which black people and black spaces are policed. We have to pay attention to this issue of stop and frisk. We have to pay attention to um, the issue of excessive force, but we also have to be aware of these more sort of mundane ways, more common ways by which um, people are unfairly treated by the police and the criminal justice system overall. So let's, um, so this is the shit that like kind of like pisses me off. I, I'm I'm not even gonna lie about it. Like, um, it's one of those things where it's God, like we know what the problem is. And I I fucking I actually hate the fact that People want to ignore it and act as if that, you know, it's all black people's fault. No, no matter what it is, it's black people's fault because black people, they, of course they can make themselves better. And like, dude, like, I don't fucking get it. I don't get it. It's you, you get these people that sit back in, just want to blame not the system that has affects us all because like in the end in the end it is literally something that not only hurts black people or brown people or asian people or it hurts everybody because who like it's especially with the gentrification especially with the gentrification who is getting that money yes you may get people that are, are are getting value in their homes, but the shit is mostly going to the bank. Hello, housing crisis. God damn it. I don't get it. Like, yeah, but like, whew. and I want to say this, we need to make a fucking change. And, um, well, if you, want to help like spread this word if you want to actually help you know help the channel grow please like subscribe down in the bottom there are links to my stream labs or paypal if you want to give a one-time donation um or patreon as well thank you guys and fuck we gotta do better okay 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 <sighs>